Amen. If you have your Bibles, won't you quickly turn them to Genesis uh, chapter 4 and stand up once you have it. If you don't have your Bible or your electronic device, you can look up on the screen. Everybody should be standing. And we're going to give honor to the Word of God, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Father God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today, that we might lift up Jesus, and in lifting him up we might see him, and in seeing him we might believe on him, and in believing on him we might be saved. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Won't you say amen? Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you for the next few minutes, and I hope it's not too long, on the subject, do you hear the blood crying out? Do you hear the blood crying out? The ABC News reported that a gunman opened fire around 2.30 p.m. last Saturday outside Topps Friendly Market, a supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood in the western part of New York. The gunman began shooting in the parking lot. Inside, he exchanged exchanged gunfire with a security card who was killed. He stalked through the aisles shooting shoppers. Wearing a helmet camera, the gunman live-streamed the shooting on Twitch. The gaming platform said it took down the video in less than two minutes. At one point, the video shows... He aimed at a white person hiding behind the checkout counter, but said, sorry, and didn't shoot. When police confronted the gunman, 
He exited the store. He put his rifle to his neck. He then dropped the gun and surrendered to them. You know, there have been reports over and over and over again. It's almost as if we can't get around it. We can't get by it. We can't go overcome it. And I've concluded that black folk are just tired. We tired. No, black folk aren't tired. Black folk be tired. And you know what be tired means. That means you tired all the time. Black folk are tired. We're so tired. We can't decorate a party for a party. Hashtag Claude Reese. We can't ask a cop a question. Hashtag Randy Evans. We can't comply during an arrest with our hands up. Hashtag Mice Brown. We can't take out our wallet. Hashtag Amadou Diallo. We can't get a normal traffic ticket. Hashtag Sandra Bland. We can't lawfully carry a weapon. Hashtag Philando Castile. We can't walk home with Skittles and iced tea. Hashtag Trayvon Martin. We can't play cops and robbers. Hashtag Tamir Rice. We can't go jogging. Hashtag Ahmaud Arbery. We can't sleep at night. Hashtag Breonna Taylor. We can't breathe. Hashtag Eric Garner. We can't breathe again. Hashtag George Floyd. We can't even go to church. Hashtag the Charleston Nine. And now, and now, we can't even go to the grocery store. Hashtag the Buffalo Ten. We're tired. Tired of making hashtags. Tired of trying to convince others that our lives matter too. Tired of dying. Tired, tired, tired. So very tired. Well, how do you process that? Is there a word from the Lord? How can you be so cold and so callous that you just indiscriminately take the lives of other people who have actually done nothing to you? And we hear it over and over again. How can you go about life without valuing the lives of other people? Well, there is a concept in the Scriptures. There is a concept in theology called uh, the, 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 the evidence or the, the occurrence, the first occurrence in the Scriptures. The, the, the idea of when that particular thing happens first. And the first time we find murder take place is in Genesis chapter 4. The first time that we see an individual callously takes the life of another is found in Genesis chapter 4. What can we learn? How do we process in our tiredness? How do we, how do we, how do we think about that? How do we explain that this situation of another taking another's life 
without any thought of consequence, without any thought of what this other individual may miss or those individuals that are connected to them. And it is not limited to white supremacy. It is not limited to white nationalism. It is not limited to this theory of replacement. It is not limited to white on black crime. Excuse me. But here in our own city in the past couple of weeks, we've seen our young people take the lives of other young people. We've seen this same violence in our own communities. We've seen this disregard for the value of human life, this disregard that all of us are created in God's image. How do you process that? Well, in my own study this week, I've been trying to process that. And I've looked at this passage, and no, it's not exhaustive, what I'm going to give you in the next few minutes. No, it doesn't answer all of the questions. No, there, there is still a problem, because whenever you see this type of sin, there is a problem. People are still hurting, and there are families that are still mourning, and we're still asked and left to wonder. But there are four things in this passage to think about. There are four things that will help us process a little bit. And point number one is the fact that normally the perpetrator of the crime comes from a dysfunctional family. Normally, not all the time, but in most cases there is evidence of a dysfunctional family. Look down at Genesis 4, verses 1 and 2, and it says, Now Adam knew his wife Eve, wife Eve and, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. This is the first family. This is in Genesis chapter 4. But you cannot get to Genesis 4 without going through Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we find this first family in the garden. And at the end of chapter 2, it says they were both naked and not ashamed. And then in chapter 3, we find that that Eve receives the apple from uh, the, the serpent. And she eats and gives to her husband. And he eats. And the scripture says the eyes of both of them were opened. And we have here with Cain the second generation of sin. We have the first individuals that were born in a sinful family. Now don't you look at me like that. You were born into a sinful family too. Just like I was. And quiet as it's kept, we probably need to discontinue the the whole concept of dysfunctional families because all of our families are dysfunctional. All of our families have been touched by sin. All of our families fall short. All of us have Mookie and Pookie and, and, and Bebe Nim in, in, in the family. And, and all of us can point to dysfunction. But there are marks of this sin. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, There is none righteous, not one. There is not one who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, not one. 
Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The fact that we are sinful and depraved. No, we're not as evil and wicked as we can be, but all of our faculties have been touched by sin. We don't think right. We don't feel right. We don't do right. That, that all of our faculties have been touched. And men and women, in this passage, it says there's none who's righteous. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks God. There's none who does good. All have turned aside and all of us are unprofitable. And the issue becomes, have we taken seriously the fact that we come from dysfunctional families? And I will tell you. That when Cain killed his brother Abel, that wasn't the first time he had problems with Abel. That wasn't the first time Abel got on his nerves. That wasn't the first time there was discontent in their relationship. He grew up in a household. And men and women, if we're going to curb this violence, we've got to see it from the household level. Because all roads... Lead back to somebody's house. And if you look at the backgrounds of some of these murderers, you will see the dysfunction. And you will discover the malady. Notice what happens in Genesis. You see it here in the first family. In Genesis 3-7 it says, The eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they decided to sow fig leaves together for themselves. It does not say that Adam sowed Eve's fig leaves and Eve sowed Adam's. They sowed them for themselves. Listen, this dysfunction had to do with extreme selfishness. But not only that, in Genesis 3.10 it says, So he said to the Lord, after the Lord says, Where are you? Why are you hiding? And Adam, first words out of his mouth were, I heard the voice of, of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Those are the first words of not just a selfish man, but a liar. You're not hiding because you were naked. You've always been naked. You're hiding because you ate of the fruit that I told you not to. And then you were afraid because you sinned. Don't try and rationalize it. Don't try and lie. No, you always knew you were naked. Not only that, look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, where it says, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave me. He says, What is this you've done? And the man's first words are, The woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Not only is he selfish, not only is he a liar, but he's also a blame shifter. It ain't my fault. Matter of fact, he not only blames Eve, but he blames God. This woman that... You gave me. You gave me. See, it ain't my fault. And men and women, parenthetically, it's never our fault, is it? We, our first family was filled with selfishness. Our first family was filled with lying. Our first family was filled with blame shifting. And then we get to chapter 4. And we wonder why Cain killed his brother. Men and women, this whole idea of of dysfunctional family is so important that we do what you and I know to do every time you go to the doctor's office. 
Either you go to his office or you go to urgent care or you, you, you go to emergency. And before you see the doctor, they give you a clipboard. And at the top of that clipboard, it says medical history. And what they want to know is what your granddaddy had and what your grandmama had and what your daddy had and what your mama had and whether or not there is a history of physical dysfunction. Because if there is a history of physical dysfunction, then there might be a problem that they need to know about now so that they can treat you correctly. If you understand what I'm saying, say amen. And so what God is saying is that not only do we have a physical history, but we have a spiritual history as well. And so there is a propensity that each one of us has towards sin. And there are specific sins that pass from our parents to us. All of us don't have the same maladies. All of us don't have the same issues. But make no mistake, you got issues. The scripture tells me in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5 that those maladies, those issues, that sin passes on from the third to the fourth generations of those who disobey me. So, when you look at one of these experiences, when you look at this shooting, we need to go back to the family. And currently when we see Problems when we see them at the very young level where these, these, these children can't handle it when they don't get their way. When these children can't handle it and, 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 and uh, uh, even at a young age you can see this propensity toward violence. We need to know that all roads lead back to somebody's house. If you understand what I'm saying, say Amen. Not only is there a dysfunctional family, but one of the other issues, point number two, is a disappointing failure. Look at verses four and five. It says, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so, if you look back at the scriptures and you look back at the passage, you know that Abel made an offering of the first of his flock. And the fat thereof. He killed an animal. He killed a lamb and offered it to the Lord. And the Lord says, I respect that. You look back at the passage and you see that Cain had an offering from the field. He probably worked hard on that offering. He probably uh, uh, labored for that offering. He probably uh, had blood, sweat, and tears to make this offering for the Lord. But the Lord didn't respect it. And the scripture says that he became angry... With, with, with God, and his countenance fell. Now notice what the counsel is that God gives Cain in verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Now listen, that is a key part of the passage. Because he's saying... I'm giving you another opportunity to go over to Abel's flock to get one of those animals, to sacrifice that animal, bring it to me, and you will be accepted. 
He's given him another chance. But he says, if you don't do well, if you decide in your heart you don't want the animal, you don't want to sacrifice it, you don't want to kill it, you don't want that animal to shed its blood, you don't want that sacrifice, then watch out. Because sin lies at the door. I like one of the translations that says sin crouches at the door. And it's desirous for you. But you got to rule over it. you got to master over it. And the only way you can is to trust in the blood. Men and women, you can see the downward spiral. Abel's offering is respected and accepted. Cain's is not. Cain is angry because his offering wasn't respected. All of a sudden, Cain's countenance falls. The Lord says, why are you angry? Gives him another chance. He says, if you do right, I'll accept you. If you do wrong, watch out because sin is coming. And when sin is coming, it has this desire for you. Watch out because it's going to overtake you. Parenthetically, I believe we live in a world and a society that has minimized sin. We don't understand the consequences of sin. We have minimized the call of God when He gives us a second chance. Where He points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where He points us to new life and salvation. And He says, watch out because if you don't receive Him... You will experience the consequences of sin and you don't know what you're asking for. Seeking to devour you. So that's why in Ephesians chapter 4, the Lord tells us through Paul to the Ephesian church, in this, be angry, but don't sin. He could have been angry but he could have remedied his sin by doing the right thing. And then the Lord goes on to say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Anger needs to be dealt with quickly. Don't let it fester. And then in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, the Lord on the Sermon on the Mount says, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder but whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And what God is saying is that anger is the root. Anger is the foundation of murder. And your anger needs to be dealt with quickly. And men and women, anger is just like faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing over and over and over the Word of God. Over and over and over. Faith cometh by hearing. Anger cometh by festering that hurt. Festering that that offense over and over and over. You begin rehearsing that that, uh, hurt. You begin rehearsing that offense. You begin rehearsing that feeling. You begin to rehearse how you want to get back at whoever it is that hurt you. And it comes over and over. And you don't even want to stop being mad. Some of us have been mad and we forgot the reason why we were mad. We just like the feeling of being mad. 
God says, deal with, deal with it quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Men and women, let me ask you a question. What are some of the hurts that you're holding on to? What are some of the hurts and the deep-seated feelings that you or either those around you have that you think may grow into something more significant? No, you may not murder anyone. But I guarantee you there are people in your family that have broken relationships because of undealt with hurts and offenses. And men and women, the gospel is a gospel of forgiveness. Won't you say a family dysfunction? A disappointing failure. But point number three is a depressing philosophy. A depressing philosophy. Look at uh, verses 9 and 10. Where is your brother Abel? Cain says, I don't know. There's another lie. There's another lie because he's the son of a liar. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now watch it. That is his philosophy. That is his thinking. That's where his callousness comes from. That is the heart of his indifference. It is thinking, thinking. Am I my brother's keeper? And men and women, I had not planned on saying this. And, and just, just take this for what it's worth. You, you, you take it for what it is. But can't we see this in our world today? I'm not arguing the validity or the invalidity of masks. But I am arguing the philosophy. If I'm my brother's keeper, you fill in the blanks. I'm not arguing with you the validity or the invalidity of vaccinations. You go ahead and solve that with you and your doctor. But what I am saying is, if we're our brother's keeper, I'm not arguing the validity or the invalidity of, of social distancing and all that we had to go through when the pandemic first hit. But I am saying, if there was a spirit that says, I am my brother's keeper, there wouldn't be a fight. Take that for what it's worth. There is an unprecedented attempt to silence truth, to kill dreams, to murder peace, and to bury hope. There are spirits today that come against the knowledge of God. Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, in, in a message, says this about the spirits in our world today, especially in North America, there's the spirit of the Philistines that says there is a desire to capture the ark of God and whatever carries God's glory. There's the spirit of Pharaoh that holds people captive in the Egypt of bondage and fear. There's the spirit of Goliath that mocks and intimidates the children of God. There's the spirit of Jezebel that makes men and women hide in caves of sexual perversion and manipulation. There's a spirit of Absalom that divides homes and churches and relationships and breaks them upon, uh, uh, beyond repair. There's a spirit of Herod that is killing young people every day in our cities through violence and poverty and drugs and sex trafficking. 
killing infant dreams and visions. And then there is a spirit of Cain. A spirit of Cain that says, where is your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? There's a spirit of Cain that has no care. There's a spirit of Cain that has no concern, that is callous, indifferent, unloving, unkind, heartless, murderous, wicked, sinful, and depraved. There is this spirit. There is this spirit that says, I'm not my brother's keeper. That whatever is right for me, I have no concern how it affects you. We become the center of the universe. All the other planets and all the other people have to revolve around us. Men and women, it is a spirit today. It is a spirit that comes up against the very knowledge and love and forgiveness and grace of God. Notice what Jesus says in John 3. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Men and women, that's the spirit of Cain. All of us have been affected one way or another by the spirit of Cain. All of us have to have to battle against this spirit of Cain. All of us have to fight against selfishness. Do you realize that if you were to do the background checks of all of these murders, you would find a similar pattern? Because we all have the same DNA. Point number four, and I'll be done. I believe that God is calling us through this and through every experience to a deeper faith. To a deeper faith. Notice what it says in Genesis 4.10. It says, and he said, what have you done? Cain, what have you done? And then he says, the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Do you realize that the blood of the righteous cries out to God? The blood of the righteous cries out to God. Don't you ever think that the perpetrator has gotten away with whatever crime he has committed. He may not be held accountable in the court of law. But he will be held accountable in the court of God. Men and women don't ever think that they have gotten away with anything and that there is no justice in this world. My Bible tells me that God declares, Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. They will repay. They will experience consequences. If you were to read the rest of this passage... God gives uh, Cain consequences that are short of death. He becomes a wanderer. He becomes disassociated and disconnected from God. There are consequences to our actions. They are not getting away with it. 
They are not going out scot-free. They are not uh, 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 being uh, not held accountable to their actions. The scripture says that the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Notice what it says, though, in Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. I don't know if you see it there, but it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice. He brought the lamb that was slain. He brought the blood that was shed. He brought that. And men and women, that is a type of Christ. That is a type of Jesus right there in the passage. He brought a better sacrifice. The blood of Jesus Christ is better than your good works. The blood of Jesus Christ is better than what you can do for Him on your own efforts. The blood of Jesus Christ is better than the works of man. The blood of Jesus Christ is what makes Abel's sacrifice uh, better than Cain. But it also says that by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Abel still speaks of the blood. Abel still speaks of the sacrifice. Let me say this so that you'll know exactly what I'm saying. In the passage, a righteous man named Abel pleased God. In the passage, a righteous man named Abel left his field to go out into his brother's field. In the passage, a righteous man named Abel was murdered by his brother. In the passage, the blood of this man named Abel cries out to God from the ground. In the passage, the blood of Abel cries out for justice, cries out for judgment, and the blood brings a curse on his brother. In the passage, it points to a righteous man named Jesus that pleased God. In the passage, it points to a righteous man named Jesus that left his field, the field of heaven, to go to his brother's field, the field called earth. In the passage, a righteous man named Jesus was murdered by his own brothers whom he has chosen and created. In the passage, it points to the blood of this man Jesus that cries out to God, from the ground. In the passage, it points to the blood of Jesus that doesn't cry for justice, but that doesn't cry for judgment and doesn't cry for a curse. It points to the blood of Jesus that still speaks. It points to the blood of Jesus that speaks to grace, that speaks to forgiveness, that speaks to redemption, that speaks to cleansing, that speaks to power, that speaks to righteousness, that speaks to new life, that speaks to eternal life. The blood of Jesus Christ still speaks and cries out to God from the ground. The blood of Jesus Christ is eternal. And the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. What can wash away my sins? Nothing? 
but the blood of Jesus Christ. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, precious is that flow. Men and women, this passage is a passage that both allows us to cry out for judgment and justice, just like Abel. But don't stop short, because it is also a passage that screams to us when situations like this happen in our world, we need to be crying out for the blood of Jesus. Men and women, don't stop short with your anger. Don't be angry, but don't sin. And the Lord says, when your heart is hurt and you're disappointed and there's this failure of our society to do what's right, when these people that are just going grocery shopping get gunned down, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but then hear the sound of the blood of Jesus that says, hurry up and tell people about me. Hurry up and share the good news. Hurry up and pray. Hurry up and seek my face. Hurry up and turn from your wicked ways. Hurry up, because there's going to be a day when you can't turn to Him. Do you hear the blood crying out? The blood of Abel cries out judgment. But the blood of Jesus Christ cries out mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Won't you say amen? amen? Father God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, our brothers and sisters in Buffalo. Father, we pray against the spirit of Cain, this spirit of hate, this spirit of murder. We pray the blood of Jesus over our nation. There is one here today that has never pled the blood. It's still not too late. It's still not too late. Run to Jesus. Because if you don't, sin is crouching at the door. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself that we would place all of our faith, trust, and confidence in you. In Jesus' name, let each person say amen, amen, and amen. Won't you stand for our benediction? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless with exceeding great joy. To the one great and wise God, our Heavenly Father, be glory, dominion, and power henceforth, now, and forevermore. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Until next week.